One of the major reasons I got out of being a general contractor was the inability to find skilled labor. It's why I got into drywall. And while that solved my own problem, it doesn't change the fact that industry-wide, not just in drywall, we are struggling to get people in the trades. How do we get more people in the trades? What are we doing wrong? I decided I wanted to talk to Chris Hussey from Conestoga College. He does all their co-op placements. He's been in the employment placement industry for a decade and a half. And it was great to get insights from somebody else other than in the trades who has an idea of what the problems are, where we're failing, and how we can fix it. Let's talk to Chris. If I were somebody to come to you, a young person who wanted to get into the trades, how would you approach talking to me? What would you say are the pluses and minuses and and hurdles for me to really find the right spot? I think it it comes down to fit, right? And so it comes down to the way that trades were marketed when the skills gap started. So when they started to talk about it in the 90s, right, of there's a, a shortage of skilled tradespeople. We need to get our kids involved in skilled trades. The only thing that I ever saw come from that was some commercials where they showed a BMW M3 convertible and talked about how you can make so much money in the trades, right? They weren't putting any effort into educating people on what the trades are really like, what skills are required, and what would a day in the life of a tradesman look like? So when I was dealing with people who are interested in a career in trades, I've seen the stigma from both sides, right? So I've seen the stigma where if you're an individual with strong academic performance, you're not suitable for the trades. So don't pursue it, right? If you're someone who doesn't have strong academic performance, you should consider a career in the trades, which is completely wrong. So I'd have people who would be chasing trades type jobs because society was telling them, if you're a young, strong guy, you should do a trade. And they were completely not suitable for it, right? They didn't necessarily have the skills that would require to make them successful in that line of work. Could be work ethic, could be knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think what it came down to a lot of the time was individuals with an open mind who wanted to learn a valuable skill set. They understood that the rate of pay was fantastic, but they also understood the culture, right? On the job Mm -hmm. site. They understood the expectations. They understood the hours and the travel and all those things combined. Those were the people that I saw successful, right? Because they knew what they were getting into. The issue was that the majority of people had no idea what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. They wanted They wanted a job that represented a certain set of values, right? If you're a young, strong guy, you need a real man's job. So (laughs) that's all that they were looking at. They were looking at that face value, right? They didn't look any deeper than that. Now, as we're talking about trying to get more women into the trades, that kind of stigma has has failed in a big way, right? And Absolutely. We kind of have taken the wrong route. And my feeling was always that we're not exposing them or giving them the opportunity to try different things, right? One of the things that I've learned over the years is when when we do start talking about the trades, we're talking about plumbing, electrical, being a carpenter, being a bricklayer, being a millwright or a cabinet. But there's so many other trades and they don't 
even get exposed to those often until they're out in the workforce. And we haven't found a way to kind of let them tinker, I guess, or try. And, and do you see people coming up, showing up, and of these candidates who are saying, I want to be in the trades, and they are a viable candidate, is it hard to figure out where to steer them? Like what trade or what skill? How do you, how do you go about pointing them in the right direction? It's, there's, there's so little information, accurate information out there about the job market, right? In different vocations. So learning what actually happens day to day in different jobs for a lot of people is really tough. I deal routinely with people that went to university, they wanted to work in accounting or maybe a college course in bookkeeping. And then a year later, they were moving into a completely different field because they weren't equipped of what the day-to-day was like. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of the people that want a career in the trades, they've been steered there, right? So they haven't been exposed to it. So they haven't had experience. Like you said, they haven't tinkered around in some some of the different skill sets that would help them be successful. They've been told, so they're almost following that direction, if that makes sense. Right. So, so just the same as a parent might tell someone to go to university, right? Right, right. I think what we're talking about specifically for this, like in the drywall field, which, which relates to every trade, is there's, there's no real career pathway, right? There's no sort of like, can I get a taste? No, you have to go work every day and then figure it out. Yep. So if, if you have a career and you think, oh, I want to try this trade, well, guess what? You're going to quit your job and you're going to go do it. And that's that. And I feel like that's failed everyone, you know, and, and then we spend our time, like you said, just talking about money. I don't know if you remember this clip from, have you ever watched the show Frasier? There's a, yes. there's a clip where Frasier is, he's hired a plumber and it turns out it's a guy from his high school and they end up talking and Fraser's like bragging about his Mercedes and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I got this one. And the guy was like, what? You have a Mercedes? Like, yeah, I'm a plumber. Like, I make a lot of money. It was, it's just kind of one of those funny, like, oh, it's, that's out there in pop culture talking about it. So when you are placing these people, are you looking for people with a certain skill set or are you looking for an attitude? And then how are you, are you just kind of throwing something at the wall and hoping it sticks? Or what about from the employer side? Are they coming to you? And saying these are the the skills because because there's hurdles on both sides, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'd agree with that 100. percent It's and I'll kind of speak to both points, right? Where from my perspective, with a candidate, it relates more to attitude and aptitude, right? So, do they have the attitude where they want to learn? They're they're trying to educate themselves on something and they want to know more about it, or is it? going into the decision blind, right? So with that, it, the more effort that's put into preparation and helping people understand, we try and organize what's called a job trial. Okay. And that might be a two-week period where the province has has funds set aside to help create and maintain opportunity for not just youth, but you know, basically anyone in Ontario. So we'd utilize those funds instead of organizing a job and having someone start, right, and hoping that the wheels don't fall off. 
we'd reach out to our contacts and try and set up what's called a job trial. So get the person working on the job site for two weeks, no commitment on either side, right? No commitment from the candidate, no commitment from the employer. It was basically just to assess fit. Okay. Is this going to work for the person and is this going to work for the employer? And traditionally, that's one of the things, that's one of the tools that we'd use that would work best because it would, it would give us time to kind of to work through any barriers, right? Um, enough time for the person to see how do I feel. We both know this, Bill. If, if I hopped on with a crew tomorrow, at the end of the day, I'd be sore. I'd be tired, <laughs> right? At the end of the two weeks, my attitude might be different. Right, yeah. my body might might acclimatize. My attitude might change. The camaraderie might help. Right, the problem solving that I have to use. So, giving someone enough time to do this, and I think that's the fault with the traditional school system around trades, like high school shop class, is the skills are taught, but that's one tenth of what people know yeah. need to know. Sorry, to make an informed decision, right? They don't. They don't understand what their colleagues are going to be like. They don't understand what the expectations are. Any of us can patch a wall, not well, but we can do it. But does that even translate to what a career in in the drywall field would actually look like? Probably not, right? Yeah, because or, the expectations or, are going to be tougher. Yep, or any, any of that stuff. Or right. any trade, right? It's, they're all similar. They're in in that sense, right? You need to try and tinker and do. You and I have worked together. I've hired people through the programs that you offered. I always yep. found from the other contractors that I talked to, they weren't. They either weren't aware that these opportunities were out there, or they weren't willing to go through the paperwork to do it. Which you know, personally, it was not a lot of paperwork for the return I could potentially get, right? And I found over the years that, and and I see this even now. So now that I'm kind of got this drywall fetish going, I've become immersed in sort of the Instagram culture of drywall. And if if you're paying attention to these people, a lot of them are creative, artistic, like that's part of their thing, right? And I've always looked at it being right-brained or left-brained, you know, people who are athletes, who understand how to use their body, who understand how to develop a technique physically, tend to adapt quicker. Uh, people who are creative and artistic uh, have the visual aptitude to look at something and go, oh, that looks good. No, I need to fix that. So I think, like you said, the stigma around who we're steering there doesn't really help. And I got sidetracked there a little. Can you talk a little bit about your experience from the employer side? Like, are there enough people offering to be part of these programs? How do they get involved? And do you spend time recruiting people to be employers in these programs? Absolutely. There's something I want to circle back to, just kind of piggybacking on what you just said. Um, and just some food for thought. When a high school student has an aptitude towards sports or creative arts, where do we typically steer them? Right, we don't necessarily steer them towards a trade. We steer them towards a career. They go and get a degree in fine arts, right? Or they they pursue being a phys ed teacher, things like that. So right. definitely along the, the along the lines of stuff that we should be discussing. Um, but to address your question, are there enough employers on board? There's never enough, right? Because you and I both know every individual looking for work is unique. 
every employer is unique, right? So mm -hmm. those expectations of their staff, the treatment, the pay, um, the volume of work, that changes so much. And the more that I'd get to know an organization and what their expectations were, the better I could do my job. Because I knew my candidates and I knew what their abilities were. And I was always really straightforward with, with individuals' ability or experience levels. Um, but I think the more that I knew about organizations and, and what they needed from their staff, the better a fit it was all the way around. I think you're right. Um, anytime that paperwork's involved, people, people worry, right? Because they worry about liability. Like, what am I signing up for? What type of commitment is this? Um, I don't think they understand the financial aspects of it very well. Mm -hmm. So they don't understand. And I can outline kind of what some of the benefits of that are. Um, but I don't think anyone necessarily spends time chasing these sorts of programs because they don't know about the value until they talk like to someone like yourself, right? You, you and I, I did not find out about the programs at the place you were working before until somebody, my, my friend Russ, told me about it, who is my plumber, who eventually, you know, we had a business together. I didn't know any of this existed. And the paperwork, to be truthful, really isn't that onerous. I think the challenge often is, is within the structure of the trades is we're all owner operators. We're all these small businesses. So I'm busy during the day trying to execute my projects and my and then to turn around after hours or try to squeeze in paperwork it's just heaping another thing on now we you and i we did try multiple times with different people and different placements and some of them are great fits and some of them are not i always worry with people and they're going well i don't want to waste my time and i was kind of like what's your alternative do you do you yep. want to stay how you are how else are you finding candidates it is a risk to train people. It is a risk to spend time and have it not come to fruition. You're investing. I liken it to investing. Sometimes your investments don't work out. But how do you go about in your, in your current position or previous positions, identifying employers as targets to be part of your program? Or is it just kind of, is it stumbled upon? There, there's a significant amount of time invested in it, right? So it, just as a business is trying to build their client base, a lot of these organizations are trying to build up their partnerships. And that's the way that the employment system is structured in Ontario is it's public money that's given to not-for-profit organizations, right? And I think we both know one of the biggest deficits when it comes to not-for-profit funded organizations is that there's zero dollars for marketing. <laughs> so there isn't the money there, right? To, to get your name out there and to send out marketing materials and to, to really make a presence in your community. I think a lot of the time, the, the responsibility for that's on the staff to get out there, create relationships, right? So with the trades, one of the issues that the biggest stumbling block that I think I came across was specific trades. So general contractors are a bit different um, because I can look them up on the internet, right? I can, you know, mm -hmm. I can find, maybe they have social media profiles. Um, but with some of the subs that you work with, some of the subcontractors, they're just a numbered company, right? They don't have a brand. They don't necessarily have a name out there that's going to make it easy for someone like me to track them down mm -hmm. unless I maybe get uh, a handoff from you. Yeah. 
And I think that was one of the biggest barriers is it's it's almost a lot of anonymous companies that in in their trade, they're quite well known, but outside of their trade, the paper trail is non-existent. Oh, it's it's a small, I don't want almost incestuous community, right? You you just live in that community of your trades, and it's very hard for somebody on the outside. I I still get calls to this day going, "Hey, do you know a painter?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I know a painter." I literally got stopped at my kid's basketball by a guy today. Are you still a contractor? I got this leak over my roof, and I was like. No, I'm not a contractor anymore, but you should call this guy because there, yeah. there isn't that time for marketing because the demand is so astronomical that what do you need to market for if you're a subcontractor and you're good? You know, like, and yeah. this, I want to talk a little bit about this. Like, if you're a business and you want to get bigger, you can't scale without labor. You can't scale without recruiting people and it just becomes this like, it's almost the opposite of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a negative way. Because if you don't go recruiting people, you're always going to be on the tools and your business is never going to grow. So it's very hard as an owner operator sometimes to think two, three steps ahead and go, look, if I want to get it, if I want to get off the tools and grow my business, I need to bring people in and teach them. And accepting that process kind of emotionally is a little bit tough for some guys, right? And I think the the one thing that the province has done really well is you spoke about it like an investment, right? So mm. hiring and training staff is an investment. Let's think about the world of investment because how many times is someone going to say to you, hey, Bill, you want to make an investment? I'll pitch in 50% of whatever you want to invest for three months. Yep. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. And that's the way I, I think the more people are kind of educated around the training supports and subsidies that are available, everyone knows the most expensive point when, when you're operating a business is, is hiring new staff, right? Because on day one, they are worth $0 an hour when they have no experience. And even, as time even goes less. on and they gain experience, it, and, that's, and they're a drain, right? You've got to have experienced staff that are training them. So that takes away from your output. Um, but after you invest that time and if it works out on both sides and someone stays as a fairly long-term employee, thousands of dollars of their wage for their initial training period can be subsidized by the provincial <laughs> government, right? So that's the, that's the stuff. And it's almost that it's too good to be true type scenario because I can't tell you how many employers that I dealt with that when I outlined the financial contribution that would be made by the province, they literally could not comprehend it. They couldn't well, believe it. I, right? I was there's, one of them. There's got to be a catch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, but you took a risk, right? And, yeah. and after taking that risk and you followed through with your part of the bargain, I followed through with mine and everyone made good. And that's kind of what gives it a reputation. It, it was for me, the, the, I, I understood the idea of investing. And we, we did try it multiple times. I tried with multiple candidates and they didn't all work out. But you know what? The one that did, the first one that did, Josh, who you know, like that guy's pretty much part of my family for the rest of my life. He was with me for four years. He was phenomenal. Like sometimes my dog loved him more than he loved me. It was just, <laughs> you when you hit that home run and it doesn't take a lot, 
that investment, the trying with the other candidates was all worth it, right? Especially when with the subsidies available. One of the hurdles, though, that I see now that I'm on the sub side, even when I was on the, the contractor side, is oftentimes they aren't technically employees, right? So they are treating this person as an independent contractor. So they're not eligible for these subsidies. So the, the small businesses are reluctant to change their model because it involves more bookkeeping. And I'm kind of like, you're missing the boat. Like what's, yeah. there's softwares now that can do your payroll for you. I mean, it's not that expensive. And the benefit of having somebody who's going to have half their wage covered for three months or you're going to get a couple thousand dollars or whatever it was. Because we, there's a, there were a number of programs out there that we used yep. that weren't just three months. I think there was one that was six months and they were phenomenal. Yep. And they gave me real peace of mind that like, oh, I, part of this is subsidized so I can be more patient and I can take more time to teach. But that's, that's sort of, I'm touching on another failing. Not everybody that runs a business is good at teaching. So I would think on your side, when you're looking for employers, you, you're trying to really be a real matchmaker here. You know, like you're almost like the tinder of the trades here. That's what it feels like. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you're, and, and people don't understand it's a long-term investment, right? So, I mean, we spoke about it. I think there was three, uh, you taken part in three placements. Right, uh, and at least one of those three, yeah. And but one of those three working out the way that it did with Josh, most employers don't experience that with their own hire, with the people that they interview, they screen, yeah. right? Um, and I think at the end of the day, every business needs to hire, right? Every business needs to train, whether you're good at it or not. You're going to have to learn because we're seeing a lot of that in the labor market right now where companies that don't want to invest in supporting and training employees are losing them, right? And that's in every industry. It's in the trades. It's in hospitality. It's in recreation. It really doesn't matter where you look. There's a huge shift in the labor market right now where where people are restless and they're looking for change. They're looking for opportunity. Um, you just hope that that we don't miss the boat. Right. And helping educate people on some of the benefits of these, you know, not the spotlight trades, right? Not electrical, yeah. not plumbing, right? We're talking well, about those other trades that are available. One of the reasons this little side project of mine took shape was if you go on any of the Ontario College websites, they just name the big trades. Now, if you go and watch someone build a house, there's easily 10, 15 more trades involved that have no training program at college and that nobody knows how to get into. There's no defined career pathway. And it just becomes an afterthought for a lot of the people who get into it, which can kind of suck for you as the contractor or the builder or whatever it is or some of the other trades because you're just like, I like doing this. And unfortunately, all we talk about is sort of the money involved in the trades. Oh, you can make a good living. Yeah. What if you actually like doing it? You know, I left where I was at and got into it because I liked it. Because I thought, man, I get to go do this every day, not hate my job and get paid for it. Hmm. This sounds pretty good. 
And exactly. Right. And you had the good sense, Bill, like you did, you do research, right? You put a lot of thought into every decision that you make. And I think those are the traits that we need. We need to be teaching youth critical thinking skills, right? We need them to take some ownership and be in the driver's seat when it comes to finding out more information of opportunities that are out there. Because most people would rather look for a job posting than a phone book. Right. They're going to look at what jobs are offered. Well, exactly. Then Google. (laughs) But they'd rather look at like, well, what jobs are offered right now? Right. They don't want to do any research on their end, or maybe they don't know how to do research on their end as to there are so many, every company that I've ever come across with hires at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. So the information's out there. And if there's fields that you're interested in, I think that we're just not lighting a good enough fire. Um, under a lot of the youth to help them realize the potential opportunities that are there. I think they go into it a bit blind. Yeah, I mean, that's a greater conversation. I think it's a a travesty that we are expecting 18-year-olds to finish high school and make a decision on what they're going to do for the rest of their lives, right? And that that decision is pivotal. There's so much pressure when, let's be honest, at 18, I was a complete moron. And making any decision beyond going to play basketball or having a few beers was not really that self-aware, you know? And th- that takes time. And I, it's just so difficult, right? I, you have kids, I have kids, and I have to look at it differently than when I was coming up, right? How am I going to equip them to be successful? Like you said, exposing them to other things, and then financial literacy, you know, understanding, great, university sounds awesome. How does $90,000 of debt sound? And you're going to make, you're going to come out making 35, 40 grand. You're going to have 15 years to pay that off. Is that cool? You know, so it's, there's a lot involved. I think, and I think it's a, the, the one thing that fails the trades is I think it's a really complex system. And when they're doing marketing and they're, they're doing advertisements to try and recruit youth, the emphasis is always, like you said, it's on the dollars, right? It's on mm-hmm. the, you could make so much money if you do this, but it's not breaking it down in a practical sense of, but I want to go to college. Well, if you do a trade, you could go to college, right? The Red Seal yeah. trades can offer apprenticeship opportunities. Sure. But even trades that aren't Red Seal, the earning potential starts immediately. It doesn't start after four yeah. or five years necessarily, right? Well, and, and there's a failing right there that you, you're, you're bringing to light is we're expecting a system, an educational system that knows nothing about being in the trades to prepare people to be in the trades. And, you know, that's just reality. But it's kind of like, I would go do some of the um, talks at one of the high schools here that you guys could go to. Russ and I would go. And we would have an ad, there would be somebody from the province talking about apprenticeships to these 18-year-olds. And we're looking at the 18-year-olds going, I don't know what this guy's saying because you're going to go out and you're going to get a placement and you're going to ask this guy for an apprenticeship. And you're going to be competing with a 30-year-old adult with children who wants that apprenticeship too. So the schools, the system aren't preparing them for the reality of what's out there. That doesn't mean you can't do well and make good money and move along. But they're putting the emphasis on the certificate and not on the skills. You know, I've hired 
a number of Red Seal carpenters who were not worth the Red Seal. And I've hired a number of carpenters who did not have a Red Seal who were great. I don't have a Red Seal. I say I'm a decent carpenter. I've hired people who have a Red Seal and I'm going, how did you get that? Like, how did you hang this door? They they made the commitment and they spent the time, right? And that's that's one of the things. I don't know about any 18-year-olds that you know, but I don't know too many that want to sign up for a five-year commitment. Right. So it's, it's the same, it's the same as education where it's, you know, yeah. that's a, that's at 18, 19, 20 years old, you're basically, it feels like you've just signed up for the rest of your life. Yeah. Whereas getting some skills, getting some basic employability skills, right. Honing yeah. your craft, learning new things, maybe trying a few different fields. And then I call Bill when I'm 25 and say, you know what, Bill, I've done some research and I think there's some amazing opportunities in drywall. How do I get started as someone who doesn't have experience? Right. So right. I think we're pushing them too early or too late. Yeah. It's a really in-depth conversation to have about sort of how are you going to get in? How are you going to do it? You know, how are you going to learn about it? And a university has always been a safety blanket, right? I have kids you're always nervous. You want them to have an easier path, but that isn't the easier path anymore. We don't know what the future holds. We're moving to not just in the trades, but just a more skills-based economy. It's not, oh, what do you know? It's what can you actually do? Because school mm-hmm. and work are two totally different things. At school, the emphasis on getting it right, you know, let's do your grades. I could tell you right now, No employer, whatever field I was in, ever asked me for my grades. Nope. You know? But they wanted basic competency, right? What can you do? Uh, Well, here's my degree. No, no. What can you do? And and that was such a reality check because I would hire kids from these college programs. And they're like, yeah, I could frame a wall. I'm like, okay, how many walls have you framed? I don't know, like two? Like, all right. Yep. So you, yep. you know how not to cut your fingers off with a circ. That's great. Let's do some teaching, right? Like, cause I can't, you yeah. can't leave this program and I can't leave you in a house to frame a basement by yourself. You are two yeah. years from that. So it's, it's very interesting conversation to have, especially about your side because you are at arm's length and often most of us were so close and we're so biased by our own experience we just kind of spout facts that may not be true, <laughs> but they're just true in it's, our own and minds. If you, if you think about it, though, it's it's you and I are both basically we're like the juxtaposition of where we should be because I was completely unsuccessful in high school, right? Right. I was in a trade school. So I actually got sent to a trade school. I did an absolute load of auto mechanics, auto body and woodworking classes. I currently teach at a college. <laughs> where you were, you know, chasing post-secondary education and, nope. you were, and you were following that route and then you found your way to the trades, right? Yeah. And I think, I think the proof is right there that we typically get steered in a certain path and what's best for us isn't necessarily the first thing that we pick, right? Yeah. Which is a message that we should really be sending is that trying different, yeah. different things, different vocations is going to benefit you whether you love it or hate it. So. 
kind of to wrap this up, is there something that I've missed that you would want to talk about when it comes to the trades and and that kind of stuff? Uh, career path wise, if somebody's listening to this and they want to get into it or they they want to know more, what do you suggest they do first? The the one thing that's missing from from candidates that I saw and employers in the trades, the one thing that was typically missing was soft skills, right? Was communication. Was if you have any interest in the trades whatsoever, have conversations with tradespeople. It lets them know that you're interested in learning more about their craft. It's going to give you more information so you can make an informed choice, right? When it comes to handing out those resumes and applying for jobs, the more that you know about what you're getting yourself into, the more confident that you can be moving in that direction. I think that trades in general do need to understand that with the current gap that we have, every employer is going to need to make a contribution as far as fielding those questions from people that are interested in the career, but also attending events at high schools, right? Making your knowledge, giving your knowledge back to the community because I can explain what a day, if you wrote me cue cards, I can explain to one of my classes what it's like a day behind the tools. I'm not going to have the passion that you do. I'm not going to have the conviction. I'm not going to have the firsthand knowledge to answer the questions. So I think the more that we can kind of dovetail professionals in the fields and youth in education, the more knowledge that more knowledge transfer is going to come out of it. And it's going to set up our youth better. And it's going to give a ton of visibility um, to the tradespeople that are willing to make the commitment um, because that name recognition, right? If you have a really awesome guy that comes in and is passionate about his field and he does a really good job just explaining why he got into it and why it's awesome, you're going to remember that, right? And you're probably going to go to that guy and ask him the questions that you need answers to. So I think collaboration is the key. After all of that, it's clear that there is no one simple answer to this problem of getting more people in the trades. And we need to address it from all sides, from people wanting to get in the trades, from schools, contractors, people in the business, government. It's a very complex problem and we have to solve it because no one else really will. I'd love to hear what other people's thoughts are on the subject. What are you seeing? Am I all alone in this? Are there people getting into this? Are there solutions that people haven't thought of? I'm open to anything. I'd love to hear people's thoughts. So please leave it in the comments. As always, I want to say thanks for listening and you enjoy the rest of your day.